Dear listener, this is Interfaith-ish. I'm your host, Jack Gordon, and every other Wednesday right here on Tacoma Radio, we bring you bold conversations about what we believe, why we believe, and how we navigate the common ground and differences between our traditions. Dear listener, this week we are finishing 2020 with a look back. A little hindsight 2020, you might say. As you may know if you've been tuning into this program for a while, this year, due to the pandemic, we had to eschew our normal format of recording live in studio with our guests at our beloved Tacoma Radio and start recording at home. Back in the spring, I started reaching out to hosts of other podcasts that intersected with religion and invited them to be guests right here on Interfaith-ish. The response was truly amazing, and all through the summer and fall, I featured some of those fellow podcasters. As you can imagine, there were even more interesting and engaging people than we could possibly fit into our program schedule. So when I started to put together the idea for this end-of-the-year program, I knew I still had an awesome list of insightful guests to call on. So this episode, dear listener, we hear stories from all over the map. Folks from a variety of traditions, locations, and life situations reflecting on the impact of 2020 in their lives and the lessons they learned along the way. And so, without further ado, it's time to get into some end-of-the-year interfaith-ish. My name is Allie Henney, and I live in Chicago, Illinois. I grew up in the Black church tradition in both the Baptist and Pentecostal settings. And for most of my teenage years and adult life, I identified as Pentecostal and charismatic. And then um, just within the last almost two years now, I started exploring the Anglican tradition and I was confirmed in the Episcopal Church. In January and February, I was still in seminary. I was taking a preaching course. I was taking a church history course. And I was doing, I was a theologian in residence at a church that feels like eons ago. Um, it's just, it, wow, it's hard to even think back like that far because it feels like it was part of a different year, part of a different world. I thought that I would get to go to California in June and walk in my graduation ceremony. In my mind, um, in in January and February, I thought, oh, I'll be moving to Chicago in like you know June, July, August, maybe September or something, something like that. And the pandemic, um, just through a series of events, made that made that move um, sooner. My kids were on were on spring break, and we had actually come to Chicago um, to look at houses. This was already something that we already had planned before the pandemic, before before anything. And so, just kind of as we were on our way to Chicago, like we were literally in the car listening to the radio getting news alerts as stuff was sh- was shutting down I-, I lived in a city in in Missouri but being from rural Missouri and a lot of my family lives in rural Missouri um, it sort of it's hit rural Missouri now where it was hitting those big major cities um, in in Missouri and now it's kind of the second wave has really hit the rural communities and that's just been and that's been terrible um, but people just weren't taking it seriously. And incidentally, that's that's really evidenced by the fact that Missouri is a, is a COVID hotspot right now. And a lot of my um, relatives and friends and stuff back home have actually been affected um, by, by COVID because people people just have not did not believe have not believed would not take measures the local mega church where i live that has something like i think 15,000 people that 
that that would show up on a Sunday, they met whenever the suggestion was only have 250. And so um, we did, my family did not attend that church, but my, but my youngest child went to their preschool program. While we were in Chicago um, looking at houses, we got a message from the school saying that there was potential COVID exposure. And so thankfully it didn't affect my child. It didn't affect um, her classroom or anything like that. So we didn't have to quarantine, but it was just, it was just, you know, really, it was just very irresponsible and they were criticized, um, roundly by a lot of people for it but a lot of people that that was just indicative of people who who didn't who didn't take it seriously and so then moving to chicago covid is still a, a big deal here we still have to have precautions and stuff but from a from a standpoint of those in authority it felt like i felt much more secure in that the people who um who were in charge were at least like trying to keep people safe I think that we definitely all are are looking forward to the time when we will be able to actually um, feel like that we're able to really fully explore like our city, um, our new our new surroundings, being able to to go to school, being able to meet new people, and do all of the stuff that we haven't that we've been able to do in a limited capacity, um, but not in the way that we would have had the had the pandemic not happened. You know, as a as a unit, as a family unit together, um, we just have been able to kind of you know keep on keep on keeping on, and so that that's all you can do sometimes. That was Allie Henney, a recent seminary graduate currently in Chicago. You can check out Allie's podcast, Combing the Roots. Up next is Marshall Davis, a Christian mystic who's enjoying the solitude in his rural New Hampshire village. My name is Marshall Davis, and I live in uh, central New Hampshire, right on the edge of the White Mountains in the Lakes region. I've lived in New Hampshire quite a long time, and my ancestors were were lived in New Hampshire. They actually were on the first boat that landed, the first boat of settlers that landed at Dover Point, New Hampshire. So I have a long history here, as well as my family, my ancestors, even in this area. My great-grandparents lived in the next town. We live in a wooded area, so uh, and you could walk out our back uh, in our backyard and go into the woods there, and it can, it can go straight into the White Mountain National Forest. This town has uh, 100 square miles, but... Uh, there's only a thousand people in it, so it's uh, it's quite rural and it's quite forested, much more so than it was maybe even a hundred years ago. I have been very appreciative of uh, this time of uh, reclusion uh, and uh, and more of a uh, solitude. Uh, it really has uh, deepened my uh, spiritual life. Uh, I've not felt the uh, anxiety that a lot of people seem to feel about this. I mean, I've been keeping very busy and uh, and uh, been able to really focus on um, on spiritual matters. I hate to say I enjoy a pandemic, but uh, it's almost like a, um, a nine-month uh, retreat, spiritual retreat that uh, I've been on here. So it's it's been good in that way, even though, you know, of course, I'm very concerned about uh, the people who are at risk and uh, 
the people who have gotten the disease. But when this pandemic started, then I began a, a series, both in the podcast and the and the YouTube channel. I'm keeping quite uh, active in, in doing that and has really helped me um, clarify my own thoughts. It's, it's one thing to have uh, a spiritual awareness and a spiritual experience, if you want to call it that, but uh, it's important to articulate it and kind of work it out in your mind. And this has given me a chance to do to do that. I think best when I write and when I when I speak. It's almost as if I can discover what I'm actually thinking when I'm when I'm doing this writing and when I'm doing this this recording. The way I I see it, we don't really understand God. We don't really even understand our a connection to God, or if you want to talk about relationship to God, it's more of abiding in the awareness of it and being able to to articulate that enough to point other people to it. So I think that has that has developed more during this time. I don't think I understand. If anything, I understand that you can understand uh, God. Uh, that, but that that's been that's been growing. That's been a reality in my life for for years now. Realizing that it comes to a point where you just uh, you give up knowing and you just kind of rest in in unknowing, if you will. Everyone is is forced into, into that, and either they are fighting it and resisting it, and as a result, becoming very anxious. Or they are able to simply trust and and rest in that. So uh, it is a skill that goes beyond just the uh, uh, the religious, if you want to call it that, aspect of our lives. I think there's is two sides of this. One is the reality that we are not in control, at least as as individuals, we are not in control. And therefore, we need to be able to to trust um, that this is going to, to work out. On the other end, this that does not mean uh, not caring. This It means that there is uh, action that, that we can take, but uh, we realize that we do our best and we leave it to God, if you will. We do we do our best because that's what we have to do. It's coming from the inside rather than trying to force something to happen. We, we, we do our best to fight against uh, what we think is injustice uh, in the world, which there has been a lot that has come to light during, during, this, during this year. And it inspires us to to learn more and to be responsible as individuals as much as we possibly can while knowing ultimately we are just uh, individuals on that on the, on a certain level that cannot influence the whole but we still need to do what we can and and speak uh, as we can uh, for for love for all people unconditional love for all people that, that comes from God and, and justice, which of course is a very important element in the Christian tradition and the care for the, for the, for the stranger and for the immigrant and for the poor and all those, all those uh, groups of people that Jesus talked a, a lot about that seem to get forgotten uh, in, 
much of Christianity today, at least of Christianity that seems to be very uh, politicized and very public and in people's, people's minds. That was Marshall Davis, host of the Tao of Christ podcast. You can also hear more of his reflections on his YouTube channel, Marshall Davis. Well, dear listener, let's go from rural New Hampshire all the way down to Texas to hear our next story from someone who's seizing the moment and definitely not slowing down during a pandemic. I am Yael Trush. I live in Houston, Texas, via many different places. I'm originally from Puerto Rico, believe it or not. And I am a religious observant Jew, a Hasidic Jew, I should say. I'll be super honest. I, I became observant as an adult, which means that my Hebrew is okay and it's good, but it's harder for me to concentrate on the, and I'm I'm like a real cerebral person. It's hard for me to connect to the words of the Hebrew prayers um, consistently. However, this year I've taken prayers that I say regularly. Like for example, I, every day I say the blessings that we say in the morning. Just there's, it's just a s- small section of our prayer book right when we wake up. It's the first thing we do. And I always said them. This year, it's become more of a pause. So I I say them a lot more cautiously. And what I did is I did like a little bit of habits um, stacking. So I give myself the time that the tea kettle takes to kind of boil the tea. And I know that you know that I ha- I should be taking that long instead of rattling off the words. I really should be taking that, and that's become like my you know like my measuring stick, so that I know that I'm actually focused on it. So I've done a few things like that. I've also there is a there is a, a Sabbath every month that we bless the upcoming month, and there is a custom to say Psalms specifically the entire Book of Psalms on that Sabbath. So every Sabbath I do I always say. Um, a, a portion of Psalms, but I never mastered the idea of saying the entire book of Psalms on a given Sabbath. So starting this year with Corona, right after the holiday of Purim, when it came time to bless the month of Nisan, um, right before Passover, my son, my oldest son said, you know, mom, you could say the whole book. You, you've done it before, right? I said, yeah, I did it the day of my wedding. <laughs> and he's like, you know, you could say it. I'm like, I can. That's right. I can. And I did it. And, you know, when you do something challenging one time, you know, you could do it again. So then the second month came and I did it. And now it's become a thing. It's been how many months? It's been eight months already. And it's been now consistent that every every month on that particular Sabbath, I say the entire book of Psalms, and it is so good, such a great experience for me. It's I can I, I'm starting to really connect with those words really on a very deep level. I mean, the words of King David in that book are really building blocks for our trust in in, in a greater power in God. On a completely different realm, although I don't think they're they're totally unrelated, is. I took more risks. I, uh, on my professional life, I did things, um, you know, just because I felt on a deep level that they were the right thing to do, even when I felt the resistance and I kind of did not stall 
Whereas in earlier years, I would take my time perhaps and wait till it was perfect and kind of like measure every detail out. This year, I did a lot more, many, many more things professionally. And they were messy and they were great Um, because I, again, I think I really practiced just letting go of the ego and just being very focused on, we have this one life to be here and serve. And how could I be of service? And how could I be of service the most and better? And I just have to show up and do it. So that's, I've been really intentional about that and just showing up and doing a lot more things. So I definitely took a lot more risks. I don't feel that settling, that like kind of like slowing down that the winter might bring. I, I feel it. Diff- I, my feeling is more of like expansive right now. And I have a lot of momentum. And I just like, I love the month of Kislev. I love Hanukkah. I think um, it just brings to the fore again, this idea of light and how much light we need to be bringing into the world on a constant basis. And so like, I feel like, what, what more can I do? You know, like there's no slowing me down. That's, um, that's my current feeling is so much goodness. And so, you know, what, what more can we be doing? Let's do it, you know? Um, and then obviously the, the, the holiday of Hanukkah, you know, it's all about that. We go out, we publicize the miracle and we, you know, this year is going to be a little bit different. Obviously we're not going to have these family intimate gatherings and all that, but we still can go out there with our menorahs and, you know, we're going to go in a car parade all with menorahs on the car and, you know, it'll be a little bit different, but there's still that idea of, you know, how can we be of service? What can, what more can we do to bring more light, more goodness, more kindness, more positivity to the world? So I'm, I'm super geared up. I'm not slowing down in the winter. (laughs) I'm like that little flask of oil. Just try me. Just try me. I'm not stopping. That was Yael Trush, the creator of the bilingual Jewish lifestyle blog and weekly podcast, Jewish Latin Princess. I love Yael's energy. It's so infectious. One person who, by contrast, would be the first to admit he's been having a very hard time this year is Matt McDermott of the Hindu American Foundation. I'm Matt McDermott. I am um, Senior Director of Communications for the Hindu American Foundation, which may come as a surprise for people that just heard my last name and it's an Irish last name, but I do indeed uh, identify as Hindu. I like to now joke in sort of gallows humor that I now share an office with two co-workers, one of which is my wife and one of which is my son. And my son, son is in school, um, now in third grade. His school is entirely online. And uh, the spring went bluntly horrendously. It was awful with meltdowns every single day. And my wife runs a um, media company, essentially. So the world headquarters is now in my bedroom. Um, so it's been it's been very rough. And you know, it's been, it's been a big shift. I, looking back to the beginning of the year, this was, you know, not at all what was planned. And it was supposed to be a, you know, a year of transition for us anyway. Um, I'm in Santa Monica, California right now. I started the year off in New York City. It was a move that we were planning. So I can say that's a success, but it's, um, that's about the only thing that's gone to plan. The one emotion that constantly comes up for me is just frustration. 
more than anything else because I feel like I'm in a, you know, I'm in Groundhog Day, not just because of the pandemic or the lockdown or anything, but, you know, it's just every time I've tried to do the emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, I don't know, correct thing, correct comes to mind and just be in the moment and try to make something positive out of this, something um, not in work, but it's in in the dynamic of three people, three family members living in pl- so, such close proximity. Something in that comes up and resets it. So I wish I could be the good quasi-spiritual teacher and say, I have grown immensely. I have really learned the power of being in the moment. But no, I feel like I, it's been so much has slid, in for, slid for me. And I feel like I'm almost off the wagon. I think it's important that we talk about that. You know, what what gets put out there sometimes, mostly on social media, is all these people, you know, trying to be really positive and we're making, what, what, what's the meme, sourdough bread? I was a baker before this. Let me tell you, I haven't baked once in all of this. You know, in the beginning, I let myself go a little bit in the sense of let myself ease into this. This is going to be a long time. And then at some point, that's too much. I'm a driven person, both professionally and personally. And I'm like, I have to get back at things. I have to just try to get through with what some sense of normalcy in this. And then I can't do it. I'm having, it's a hard time. The one thing I I will say that I have picked up in this time, I've let so, so many things go, um, is I've taken up um, Wim Hof breathing. Wim Hof is popularly known as the Iceman. He has done all sorts of things, which to, mere mortals like most of us seem crazy. I believe he has climbed Everest in shorts. He has all sorts of world records for breath holding and physical feats. And he does a specific breathing technique, which gets labeled Wim Hof breathing, um, which is, from a Hindu perspective, seems like just a spin on classical pranayama, but it involves some rapid breathing, almost bordering on hyperventilation with breath holds and all of these things. And it's actually, it's amazing. It's, it's, it's really, I think fun to do. Um, it's very empowering to sit there and hold your breath for a couple minutes, literally a couple minutes. When I started a minute was good, but then with a little bit of practice, like two minutes was good. And now I can get to like three minutes, 30 seconds or so, which is, which is a little bit weird. It's funny. And and somewhat ironic is that I had a little bit of a COVID scare. I tested negative, but I had all the symptoms back in May. And I took this up in earnest while I was quarantining. I was like, this is about my lungs or potentially, that's what we thought at the time. Now we know it's more of a full body infection. Um, but I was like, I'm going to improve my lungs. Let's take this up. I've always been really interested in this. I've got this extra time on my hands. And I started and have kept it up. And it is very centering. It's amazingly centering. It, 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 your whole mood is lifted up and uh, and you feel accomplished. It, you know, it's like you, you've defeated an autonomous or what, a, you know, a, a part of your body that, that you normally don't have to think about. Part, part of being you normally don't have to think about, which is your breathing. And I've just controlled it which seems like now that I think about it, something that I think we're all striving for in such a situation is some sense of normalcy and control. And there's so much as is out of control right now. I would like, I would hope that I can find the center in all of this uncertainty and chaos to 
you know, to rebuild the physical and spiritual practices that I've had to leave by the boards because I've been juggling, you know, professional career, full-time career and having to oversee an eight-year-old boy's third grade schooling. And his teachers are particularly in the fall have been very good. And even in them being very good, it requires a lot of oversight. So I would like to bring into the new year, the intention to try to best as I can to keep striving on these, you know, on these pursuits that I found so important for so long, but I've had to largely, you know, set aside, not willingly and not willingly is the polite way of putting it. I've gone kicking and screaming into not, you know, not being able to do them. This isn't newsworthy in the sense, nobody's going to do a news story about this because it's so common, but all of us are going through this. And I think it's important we talk about it because it's very, it can be very isolating feeling. And the more people talk about it, the more at least you hear it in somebody else's reality. And, uh, I find comfort in that, (laughs) you know? That was Matt McDermott, host of That's So Hindu, a podcast from the Hindu American Foundation. I really appreciate Matt's honesty about the difficult year he's been having, and I agree that it's crucial that we talk about our struggles with friends and loved ones, and maybe a radio audience, so we can find a path through them, hopefully together. Our next story is from Josh Patterson, a high school and young adult pastor in Maryland, who has thankfully found guidance, even as others turn to him for help. The first church I worked at uh, was a church in South Florida, um, and they were extraordinarily toxic, um, very terrible environment. I mean, I experienced uh, verbal abuse, emotional abuse, uh, spiritual abuse, all sorts of stuff there. Um, And during that time, the short eight months I was there, (laughs) um, I developed uh, both anxiety and depression. Um, I already kind of had some anxiety uh, issues that that runs in my family, but uh, this experience really exacerbated that. And I kind of just couched that experience uh, for a really long time, uh, for about three and a half years. And it got to the point where I noticed it was affecting me um, theologically, it was affecting me spiritually. I was, you know, I had really bad depression, my anxiety was insane. Uh, and it was also impacting how I interacted uh, with the people who I, you know, currently work with in my my current church setting, um, which has been amazing, by the way. They, that's been a, a place of of a lot of healing, uh, pretty much the opposite <laughs> of the first place. And so after I I started going to a, a traditional psychologist, um, he was uh, a quote unquote Christian psychologist that I was recommended to see. Um, which I don't know. Um, that has its strengths, I guess. Uh, but I actually found that some of the elements this particular individual was trying to include um, in our therapy sessions were actually more more harmful than they were helpful. And uh, one day we kind of got into an argument <laughs> about what the Bible is and how it works, and I never went back. <laughs> Uh, somebody suggested because of some of the trauma that you experienced, uh, 
does involve uh, a spiritual abuse, then perhaps a spiritual director might actually be very helpful. Um, a spiritual director could basically see anybody from any faith background, um, and they can be from any faith background. My spiritual director just happens to be uh, a Christian. Her name is Sid. She is wonderful. Um, and yeah, it's just it's been very helpful uh, for me to work through some really important personal um aspects of my life and of faith. So I'm like a, a very relational kind of person. Um, I think I'm an extroverted introvert, <laughs> but I, I love being around people. And that's, you know, what I did working in the church. I was around people all the time. And so with the whole COVID thing, um, when that's not the case any longer, I'm not around, you know, uh, my college students or, you know, the congregation or even my coworkers. Um, it kind of took away the relational aspect for me, which I think the relational piece was masking uh, some of the major issues that I had going on internally. Part of the the major issue for me uh, was that I was I was good or I am good at telling other people that uh, there is this God who is love, you know, God loves you, things like that. Uh, but I never was able to believe that for myself. Um, and so with the spiritual direction stuff, um, it really actually helped me uh, connect to the God who is love in new ways, in different ways, in more exciting ways, uh, in more experiential ways um, that helped break down uh, some of those uh, lies as well, um, you know, whether it be bad theology um, or just, you know, misconceptions, false ideas. And uh, it really, to use like kind of weird woo-woo language, it's been a, <laughs> it's been a time where I've been able to, to move up from my head into my heart. Um, I'm kind of a dork. I'm like a big time intellectual. I read a lot. And so having this experiential knowledge of a God who um, is love has opened up room for me to be able to ask all the kind of questions I've always wanted to be asking uh, without having to be afraid um, because I know what God is like <laughs> because I've experienced God. And so I don't have to be afraid of some of the ideolo you know, ideological claims that other people make um, about God that just aren't true. I've become a firm believer now that uh, anybody serving within uh, pastoral ministry should go out and get themselves a spiritual director. <laughs> Um, because a lot of the times pastors are put on a pedestal, which I think is a problem, uh, because pastors are just people, um, and they have their questions too. And a lot of the times, uh, as a pastor or someone serving in a capacity where people look up to you as, like you said, a spiritual guide or something like that, uh, oftentimes you feel like there's nowhere you can go when you do start asking questions because like, wait a minute, aren't you supposed to be the, the person with all the answers? Um, so finding a healthy space where you can ask the kind of questions that you need to be asked, um, or like wrestle through things, uh, or just, you know, be painfully honest and, and, and brutally honest about things, um, is a very healthy thing to do. I value transparency and authenticity. And so I think, I mean, one of the most helpful things for me to hear, uh, when I express, you know, things that happened to me or questions I've been asking is just a simple phrase, you're not alone, you know? Um, 
so letting other people know like, yeah, you're, you're asking really good questions and you're not the only one. <laughs> you might feel like you are, uh, but this question has been asked since, you know, the beginning of the faith or, um, you know, you worked in a super toxic church environment uh, that was more harmful than anything. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, you're not the only one. Um, I know what that's like. To steal a phrase from Rob Bell, somebody um, who's been really helpful and influential for me, Rob likes to say that the invitation is to go deep enough into yourself that other people find themselves in your story. And um, that's kind of one thing that I try to do. That was Josh Patterson, a pastor who hosts the podcast Rethinking Faith. Let's turn now to Robert Hunt, a professor in Texas who shares some of the spiritual lessons he's learning from our new reliance on virtual education and the opportunities it's creating for greater inclusion in the classroom. We had already begun in our university to dabble with online courses, but um, and of course then we all went to Zoom almost immediately as a way of doing this. But merely having um, a face-to-face classroom reproduced on Zoom is not making good use of the technology and its pedagogical possibilities. There's a lot more that can be done. So first, I've been trying to learn the right ways in which to teach in this new environment um, and and watching the the best practices emerge um, nationally, really, in, in thousands of conversations, really, but with my colleagues as well. And then secondly, to recognize that as we all go virtual, the possibilities of a virtual environment for people who are otherwise shut out of education or limited in education really need to be explored. Um, so if I can be specific, I've had a student in a couple of classes. He's in a wheelchair. He does not have a, a good range of motion. But he's really helped me and the class understand that there are some things about going online that make this all easier for him. Um, it's, it's one thing for us to provide, as we of course do, full disability access um, in, our, in our university. But that's still a big pain for someone who has to catch a special bus, drive in a motorized wheelchair, possibly in the rain, come up the ramp, find a place in the classroom, as opposed to just being part of a virtual conference. And I've, I've said this many times, and I would continue to say it, the biggest disability that a traditional residential uh, graduate school does not address is the disability of having to live 300 miles away from the graduate school, which is where your work is. We have a chance to address these things, and then we have a chance to do it better, to create 360-degree virtual environments, to use 360-degree or at least 180-degree streaming cameras so that a student who is participating online can fully see the classroom and the fellow students and that student can see them. That's all technology that we have now that we just needed to deploy and that we need to move even harder and faster into deploying so that we can make education as available to good education, as available to as many people as possible. I think there's a spiritual lesson to be learned, which is 
that we can find multiple ways of making contact with one another. Um, the, the ubiquity of the Holy Spirit should mean that even when we're physically isolated, we can be one with each other if we explore that. And having had the, the physical cut out from under us, um, it's been important for me to, to think about that and, and think about how with just voice or picture or just voice, we establish spiritual connections with one another. If we lack introspection, um, then pretty quickly what takes over is our ego and our, and our, our own narcissism and our need. And um, it, it takes some real spiritual resources to have a sustained love for your neighbor that's worked out in action, um, even if it's the simplest action of wearing a mask in public. Two of the religions that I teach in my World Religions course um, have come constantly to my mind in this period. And, and one is the Confucian teaching of human-heartedness, zhen or run, um, that we need to cultivate human-heartedness, having a human heart toward another person. Um, and uh, the second is I, I have been influenced by Buddhist understandings that I think are val of enormous value spiritually, which is recognizing that what seems like a very long time is not to, um, to meditate on the transience of the world and to understand how much our egos cling to things that are changing in any case, um, I think can bring us to use a Buddhist term, some release from the, the welling sense that I'm being put upon just because I do simple things for my neighbors. It's tempting at a time when people are locked down and things are changing to just say, well, I'm putting all my plans on hold, right? I'm just going to wait for whatever apocalypse comes or for there to be a vaccine and things will get better. What I'm finding a happier way to think about it is to lean on an essay by C.S. Lewis called The World's Last Night. I believe he quotes Martin Luther in that essay when he says, if Christ were coming tomorrow and I were an arborist, I would plant a tree today. And so instead of my fretting about tomorrow, I'm trying to lean into just doing my job. And I find a lot of uh, relief in that. And I find a lot of happiness in that. I, I think there's a lot of great stuff that's going to happen in the next 12 months. We are going to make education much better because of this crisis. We're going to extend it to a much broader group of people, including internationally. And so I'm, I'm just bearing down and getting to work on that. Um, and I'm enjoying doing that and, uh, and, and enjoying it because I know that even though the future is not in my hands, I've got a job that I've been given to do. That was Robert Hunt, Director of Global Theological Education at Southern Methodist University. Continuing that line of thinking about Buddhist influences, here's Angelo John Lewis, who identifies as spiritual but not religious, reflecting on how the pandemic has inspired him to deepen his understanding of what it means to practice compassion. At this particular time, one way to look at it is that perhaps it's a potential turning point uh, for people. Um, before that, maybe we could live comfortably in a bubble. 
we didn't have to realize that we were interconnected with everybody else. And um, so this event has shaken us to some extent out of our complacency. So um, what is useful? What, what, how, how can I contribute to that? I mean, how, 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 how do I need to be different? And how can I contribute to a world which I see changing all around me? And uh, yes, it's inconvenient. And um, like a lot of people, um, a lot of my daily life is not the same as it was beforehand. But at the same time, I think it's an opportunity for, for, for a lot of us, for all of us, actually. For me, um, the, the compassion piece is a, is a big thing. For one thing, uh, for example, I have a, I have a, a mother. She's 96. And um, so she lives alone and she has various ailments. And, uh, you know, she needs a lot of support, relative, more than she did even 10 years ago. So for years, I've been going over there um, once a week um, just to do shopping for her and whatever errands that she needs to do. I realized that this is just like I was treating this whole thing as a job. I didn't really feel all this kind of sense of, um, you know, compassion or um, uh, need to really be helpful. I was just doing it because it was my duty as an only child and as a son. And when I realized that, um, I also looked at my own life and I decided that um, in general, um, I don't con consider myself um, all that a compassionate person. Now, I don't know, but this is just my own perception of myself. So that motivated me to start a different particular form of spiritual practice, which I've been doing, um, which is called Tonglin, uh, which is an ancient Tibetan Buddhist practice um, to enhance compassion, basically. So, you know, one element of the practice is if you see somebody or if you experience let's some, somebody's having difficulty, uh, instead of like pushing yourself away from that difficulty of that person. Um, you try to identify that person and actually breathe in uh, that person's pain or that person's anxiety. And, um, you know, the second point would be to universalize it and to tell yourself, well, th this, this person that I'm seeing, this is not the only person that's experienced it. There's lots of people that are in that particular situation. So this is like a daily um, practice. It's not just like on the cushion in meditation, it's also part of life. So um, the other aspect of it, if I see um, somebody that's having a great time, um, I try to visualize that, uh, well, wouldn't, wouldn't it be great if the whole world were, were having a good day like that person, or if I were having a good a good day? And I do that throughout the day, and I do that uh, in my um, my spiritual practice. And um, I think it's it's really changed changed it's it's changed a lot. Yeah, I'm not there, you know. I'm not in any kind of like realized state in particular, uh, but it's an ongoing thing that I do uh, for myself that um, I think is helpful in terms of my goal in terms of being a more um, compassionate but also connected person. Because all these kind of th situations that we um, in our limited um, sense of self. We often feel that we're the only person that is uh, undergoing whatever trouble it is, whatever tribulation or whatever. But the truth of the matter is that a lot of us are, and um, there, there's a bit of comfort even in that, and to you know, and to put that into practice in a certain way. That's Angelo John Lewis, director of the Sacred Inclusion Network. We close now with Episcopal priest, Reverend Kat Banakis of Evanston, Illinois, and a reflection that feels sort of like a prayer for the coming year. It has been really interesting to be a leader of a community in this time. 
And I don't know, absent the uh, context of the last year, if I would be able to say with confidence, um, well, situations will arise and we will figure them out together. Uh, but the, the events of the last year have forced me to step into leadership in a way that uh, I hadn't fully anticipated doing. And that experience has been confidence building in its own right. Uh, not to say that I could be, or any of us could be thrown into any situation, um, but so many of us, I, I think, have had to rise to lead in a way that we didn't necessarily feel equipped to, uh, or um, necessarily had ever expected to be making public health decisions uh, or decisions about um, finances in certain ways, or uh, having to rifle through. <laughs> Um, conflating recommendations to to make a decision, the opt in of religious community and identity in crisis has been uh, just remarkable to witness. And the situation of the year, I think, really fused people together in in a way that wouldn't have happened in another way, possibly. But one of the things that the experience of this year I want to bring forward also is, you know, during the small amount of time when we could gather safely within limits, we had um, two tiny weddings and a tiny funeral, uh, both with just immediate family. And they were among the most holy experiences that I have ever had the privilege to be a part of. And there is uh, beauty and grace in that that I will want to take in as an experience uh, to encourage people to make use of. You know, it's, it, it is a good reminder that none of these things is about the numbers. Um, and I have just been so struck personally by the increase of people saying, I love you on the phone and in emails and articulating what may have been in the back recesses of someone's mind uh, and to, to articulate those things. And so I hope that I can encourage that to continue as a practice that we, we say what we are feeling in appreciation of one another. Dear listener, that's a wrap on this week's Interfaith-ish. Thanks to all my guests who shared their reflections as part of today's episode. Be sure to check out their programs. I'll have the full list of their podcasts and projects in our show notes. A shout out as always to my fellow interfaith astronauts Miranda Hovmeyer and Sue Katz-Miller, and to our musical maestro, Jeff Philosopher, for providing our theme music. And a big thanks to everyone who contributed during Tacoma Radio's end-of-the-year fundraiser. We received so much support from near and far, it really makes me feel loved and encouraged to keep going with our show. 
So thank you, dear listener. As always, you can find our entire back catalog of interfaith-ish episodes wherever you find and enjoy podcasts. Remember to leave us a rating and review. You can follow us on social media at interfaith-ish. We post regularly on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we want to hear more about what you've learned from our shows this year. So leave us a voicemail on our special listener line, 202-599-2953. As usual, keep writing us about the interfaith-ish you wish to dish at interfaithish at gmail.com. That's I-N-T-E-R-F-A-I-T-H-I-S-H at gmail.com. Interfaithish will be back in two weeks to kick off 2021 with a whole slate of great new shows. Until then, keep it locked to WOWD 94.3 FM for great music and programs seven days a week, streaming online at TacomaRadio.org.